Hello again, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening. You're listening to the Police One Podcast, Policing Matters. I'm Doug. This is Jim Dudley. So, Jim, you know, there's been some discussion um, over the number of years, really, uh, since, um, really, since I've been following this stuff, about how to have um, law enforcement and fire and EMS work more closely together. Um, in March of 2016, a um, policy came to came to light in San Bernardino, California, where you know, and I know this is a policy in other places, but in San Bernardino, the policy where the the EMTs, the fire, wouldn't go in until um, police had secured the scene. I know that's a policy in a lot of places, but a little twelve-year-old boy bled out on the scene, and witnesses were saying, you know, you got to go help that kid. So it's it's coming to light for citizens as much as it is now in terms of the the professionals who have to address this issue. And for me, the beginning, the middle, and the end of this is training. It's it's if you're going to work together, you have to train together. So um, you know, I, I want to have a couple of thoughts on that. But first, give me your your thoughts on just the notion of getting officers and fire and 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 EMTs to work more closely together. Sure, there's there are a number of calls for service um, that require a multidisciplinary approach. So, in an emergency call, critical incident. Um, you may have a dispatch put out a, a call to multiple um, disciplines in response to what, what amounts to an unknown situation. But there was firefight, there was a hazmat, there, was, there are injuries, uh, people need help. So it's essentially a jump ball from there. We all respond, police, fire, EMS, and maybe some other agencies. Uh, somebody knocks over a fire hydrant in the process. So you have uh, DPW, the public works people responding, the water company, uh, the electrical people, whoever. So you've got this jump ball. Uh, somebody's going to get there first. Uh, hopefully they set up um, uh, a safe uh, avenue of approach. Uh, you establish ingress and egress. You establish staging areas. And then if there is a physical threat, uh, an armed encounter, active shooter, something of that nature, uh, law enforcement is best prepared to, to handle that. So once the threat is mitigated or uh, suppressed, um, then uh, EMS fire, I, th I think it's common in, in a lot of jurisdictions that the policy says mitigate the threat first and then bring in uh, EMS fire. But in, in several situations, like the one you just talked about, um, you have people that are dying, they're bleeding, they're, um, they're, they're being... Um, they're being allowed to expire when when emergency response could save their lives. So we've got to figure out a better plan. Uh, we've got to um, try to cordon off the threat and then get the injured uh, to the life-saving uh, agencies um, as best we could. Uh, several ways to do that. Again, you got to figure it out before the incident. Um, you've got to determine what the roles are. Maybe you train up some people to be uh, cop docs, or you train them to, to actually be in a stack if a SWAT team goes into a, into a hot environment where uh, medical training uh, personnel can go in and, and assess uh, victims. Um, lots of different ways you can do that, um, but time is of the essence in those cases. And um, too many incidents where people have been allowed to bleed out. Yeah, and you know, in, in places like Phoenix that I know for sure this program is happening, they, they're giving officers what they call an IFAC, you know, an individual first aid kit. They're trained on 
basic first aid, not only for themselves and their fellow officers, but for people like that 12-year-old boy, you know, where EMS is standing on the other side of the street and unwilling to go, you know, these guys carrying an IFAC, you know, they will, you know, other officers are looking to mitigate the threat while one officer stays with the individual victim and can at least assess put some dressings on, you know, quick clot gauze and all of that sort of thing, tourniquets if needs be, um, you know, but you, you're not going to have, um, you know, a, a police officer in every fire station, you know, um, coming out, rolling out on, on, on medical calls. You're not going to have the ability to do a lot of those kind of pie in the sky things. You can train EMTs with the the use of a vest, you know, the type of movement you, you would have in a patrol scenario, or as I mentioned, in a SWAT scenario. But this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It all goes to training. The cops are training on the IFACs. The EMTs are training on how to how to work in the movement, work in the stack, work in, and understand and know what bounding an overwatch is and figuring out how to use cover and concealment to get to the, to the location. All of that goes to training, for, like I said earlier. For me, all of this stuff is about getting people to work together in training before they have to go out and do it in the field. Because you have those, what I call, y'all come situations. Traffic collisions, you know, mass casualty, Aurora, in Aurora, Colorado, there were about 20 runs of police cars um, acting as ambulances because the EMTs would not come in. And, you know, some of those people lived, thankfully, and those officers became an ambulance, uh, ambulance driver. So, you know, it's, it, it, that's an improvised solution. It worked a little, but it could work a lot better when you have the, the preparation and the training and the forethought to get together. You know, one of the best examples for me is Urban Shield. You know, you come and you, you go and watch Urban Shield in the Bay Area and all of the disciplines are working really well together. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're just literally thrown into a scenario and said, fix it, figure it out. Sure. Know? Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their, their specialty. Um, law enforcement in a non-active um, shooter type situation, we could certainly act as force protection. Uh, we try to clear um, uh, pathways for these other agencies. Uh, traffic direction, crowd control, things of that nature. Um, but we, we really need to meet with, with the other agencies and find out what the priorities are. Once incident command is established, a joint incident command should have a lead fire representative and a lead law enforcement uh, representative to hash out those minor details so that the, the boots on the ground people aren't figuring them out. Uh, there's not conflicts where nobody's running over fire hoses, nobody's breaking through um, a crime scene, and and never ever ever never ever never <laughs> should uh, we see any anybody from an agency in handcuffs because they interfered in a crime scene. So if life saving is the number one priority, well then the crime scene suffers. But um, we need to work together. Yeah. Well, the solutions are out there. There are there are definitely agencies that are working together really, really well. So, you know, research it online, research it on uh, Police One. Uh, if you don't have a model for working with your other uh, disciplines in your area, that information can be had. Models do exist. And, um, you know, just make it happen for your for your your uh, your your own agency. But more more importantly, for the citizens you serve. We'll be right back. <laughs> 